Welcome. It is the second week of Advent, as you were told by RJ Michaela just a few moments ago. The love candle is lit. If you're tracking with our journals, our series uh, on Advent and Christmas and Epiphany uh, starts on page 29 of the journal. If you're kind of writing and following along with the ideas. As I said to you last week, what we're doing for Advent is immersing ourselves into the lectionary texts for this time of year. This means that the texts that we look at, Old Testament and New Testament, every week are, are sort of connected to churches all around the world will be looking at the same texts. And, and, and these parts of the Bible tell us about Advent. Uh, they, don't, they kind of hold us off from rushing into Christmas and say, what's actually going on here? What is it that we're waiting for? What is it that we are expecting? And so today, I'm really blessed to have Yana and Andrew uh, with us. Uh, they, they work with Woven, one of our mission and justice partners here at Westside. And, and I kind of, when I was chatting to them about how we would talk, as we often do each month, we'll take a particular justice partner and, and, and spend a little bit of time talking about them. As we were talking about the lectionary texts and talking about the conversations that we wanted to have today, we thought, let's kind of do it all together. So what I wanted to do was invite them to sort of join me and talk about these texts from Advent and how they push us towards hoping about Jesus, but also really aligning ourselves with what God hopes for the world as a result of the kingdom that Jesus is bringing. So some of you will recognize Yana, I uh, hope, <laughs> and, uh, but you may not recognize Andrew unless you're part of his traveling fan club who have come in from BC. Um, and uh, but, but, hello, Yana, there we go, yeah. And, uh, Yana, Andrew, uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves and, and Woven, uh, this uh, great missional partner that we work with here at Westside. Sure. Good morning, Westside. Uh, my husband, Jason, and I have been part of this community for going on 10 years. And I had been on staff for five of those years. Um, and yeah, this, this is my home, this is my community, and many of you have been so supportive even on my journey with Woven. And I met Andrew for the first time um, in 2015 in the office of Adam Bedford, our missions pastor at the time, invited to a conversation about this particular organization. And my heart was really captured um, for many reasons, but it's been a journey of transformation for myself um, and I think anyone and everyone who, who, who gets involved, one of the things that I really liked about this project was that is led by the nationals. So we work in Southeast Asia and there is just an implicit connotation on being challenged and having one's thinking transformed when you already go into it with the posture of learning and taking your direction from someone who may have different values working in a different culture and you have to consider different things. And so right off the start, it was a deep dive. And I think it's been a great journey for Westside as well in how Woven operates and really being an advocate of the mindset that God is inviting all of us to be both givers and receivers. We often approach partnerships uh, sort of asking ourselves the question and putting the pressure on ourselves of what do we have to give? What am I bringing? Uh, but what I like that I've been invited to ask myself more often than not is what is God wanting to teach me? What is he wanting to show me through 
the catalyst of this organization or any other organization and any other relationships that I may be a part of. So that's, that's a little bit about, I guess, Woven. And we've had two teams uh, that have gone over to Southeast Asia. From Westside? From Westside. And we're hoping to do more, hopefully, now that we're somewhat post-COVID. Really looking forward to that. I had the privilege of leading one of those teams. And I know that it was just a beautiful time of fellowship for everyone. Hey, everyone. I've been here a few times. It just makes me want to curl whenever I'm up on stage here. Um, I'm originally from Grand Prairie, the true north strong and free, and uh, went to Trinity Western. I met my wife there shortly after we moved to Southeast Asia, lived there for a few years until my wife unfortunately got sick from some crazy parasite. And so we had to move back uh, to Canada. So what do you do then? Do you just go get a regular job? We didn't really feel released to do that. So we kind of just talked about the project wherever we went. It eventually formed into what we call now is woven. And some crazy churches like yourself just keep calling us back to grab the mic. <laughs> so it's, it's truly an honor. I will say, you know, I know this church has had its ups and downs, especially in recent years. Um, but one thing that is like really beautiful is your commitment to continue to partnership with the, with, yeah, the ministry. Mm -hmm. So that it's truly like a part of your fingerprint. That every year, you know, the church is giving money. It's helping send its people. You're kind of putting everything into it and saying, yeah, this is important to us. Irregardless of how things are going on, even within the building sometimes, we're going to keep doing this because it's important. So thank you for people who have given, um, people that give to missions. This is a trustworthy and a really good thing. So I'm, I'm happy and honored to be here representing our team, really. But I'm also wanting you guys to feel encouraged that it's like, it's a really good thing. I know in, for some people giving, charity, there's all these sorts of questions. This is a really good thing, and I hope you hear that today. So what we wanted to do then in the conversation today was, and, and you'll pick this up in last week's text about Advent, and you'll pick this up in coming weeks as well, is that there's this sort of vision in the Advent texts, not simply that, you know, someone is coming, but what will that coming person do? Uh, and you see that in, in the text today, in the lectionary for this week of Advent is from Isaiah chapter 11 and verses 1 to 10. And let me read it to you. And what I want to do is really, once we've read this text, is sort of open it up to Andrew and Yana in terms of their ministry and the work that they're doing. How does this text resonate with them? And perhaps a question you ask yourself as I read it. Isaiah says this, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. It says he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. 
The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. So you get this like remarkable vision in, in this piece of text from Isaiah. This, and you'll see it perhaps if we put just the first part of that uh, passage back on screen, you'll see this vision of what is this messianic character going to do? But fascinatingly, at the time, Israel always saw itself as this vine, as this giant tree. And here, Isaiah says, actually, no, it's a stump. Like all of the dreams and hopes have been chopped down and what we're left with looks kind of dead. But what looks dead, new life starts shooting up from. This one slender little shoot, very fragile, but it indicates hope and that something is happening in this text. But I want to hear a little bit. There's more in this text to talk about. But when we sat and conversed this week about this text, your eyes started to light up about a sense of, I think what it is that Woven is trying to do that resonates with this Advent vision of God's messianic kingdom. So where do you want to jump in? What captures you? Yeah, first and foremost, I will say, we're saying the word Asia um, out of the reality that due to the political nature in the country, it's dangerous for the people um, that work there, um, possibly dangerous um, even for us that go and come and go. And so some things are kind of vague. But I will say from the beginning of this ministry, which I came in about two years after, in 2010 was my first time there. And on one side we had, who is now our national director. And she's a single mom with a few daughters of her own. And she was in a prayer group. Um, I don't know if any of you are in a prayer group. They're not like the hip hop happening thing typically in church, but <laughs> I like the idea of a prayer group. Um, and she, she was in one and and they were just praying the most simple prayer, I think, that we can pray, which is, God, like, what is, what is your will? We want to do that. It's like the most scary yet honest thing we can ask ourselves. I know it was for me and my family when we ended up moving over there, was like making the list of things in our lives. And it's like, oh, are we willing to give up, like, our friends and our jobs and these things that we've worked so hard and trained for? Like, are we willing to give it all up, really? And the same thing. Um, our national director with her friends are just praying, like, God, we want to do your will. Meanwhile, um, there was a young girl who unfortunately had to resort to prostitution to buying medicine for her mom, and her mom had been connected to the congregation. And so, kind of on her deathbed, she called in, who is now our national director, grabbed her hand and said, hey, I know what my daughter is doing. Can you please help her when we pass? The mom passes, and the daughter, she's only like 14 and 15 at this time, gets passed on to the auntie and uncle. Now, unlike maybe how we perceive the story, where the girl is clearly like a victim of, of tragic circumstances, um, within their culture and context, the girl's deemed unlucky. That is her fault. Kind of sometimes maybe how we even view prostitution. You see a girl on the side of the road, and it's like, oh, it's, those are bad decisions she's making. And so this girl, and I know this because I helped 
translate her story for a chapter of a book one time. I remember her sitting there and talking to me, and she's explaining she was actually chained up outside of her auntie's hut because they were so repulsed by what she had done. And they were just going to let her die, and the villagers kind of came and said, hey, you can't just do this. This is, this is not good. So eventually, our national director, who had a job of her own, said, hey, why don't you just come live with me? And thus the first girl. And unfortunately, already at that age, um, she had contracted. She was HIV positive. She had AIDS. And for the next several months, she started going to the doctor, getting treatment, endless amounts of visits, until one day, um, and she's telling me that she's like, yeah, I, I remember reading in the Bible, and I see all these people being healed, and I was so sick of going to the doctor. And so I just, in my private prayer life, said, God, tomorrow, I don't want to have AIDS anymore. I'm sick of this. And she went the next day, and she's like, hey, you guys, like, I want to be tested. They're like, okay, well, that's a weird thing to request. They tested once, came back negative. They went and tested three more times because they couldn't believe it. And thus began the foundation of the ministry, which we get to be a part of, that we get to be a part of, which was founded on the miracle. A girl was cured from an incurable disease. And she was the first one. Out of like the most stumpiest of stumpy situations, came up this shoot of life. And, you know, it wasn't just the girl. There's lots of characters in this story. And without even the support of the people, there's so many different nuanced things. But the truth remains is that God does is a God of miracles, a God of restoration, a righteous God, one who counsels his people, that reveals himself in the most unique ways. And it's not just true for the girl, it's true for all of us. So that's when I'm reading this, that's what I'm, I'm reflecting on myself, saying, oh, man, what are my, what are my nasty parts? What, is, what am I stumpy like in my life? Because often God uses that nastiness to shoot the most beautiful part of life. Well, and when you think about it, um, this girl, you know, and if we're using the illustration of, of a stump, of something that doesn't seem to be in a place of producing life, like here we are, you and I, all these years later, halfway across the world, our lives being transformed, and hopefully as we're witnesses to what God's doing over there and bringing it and sharing it with our communities, it just continues, right? Like this one shoot that perhaps barely had one leaf on it. It's how I imagine it in yeah. my mind's eye, and yet it birthed this life, um, I mean, even to, into this community. Yeah. And another story that came to our minds as we were reflecting on this scripture was, I was living in, in uh, Asia in 2019 and 2020, and I heard about our outreach team going out uh, to the city dump because they heard about a whole village being relocated uh, right in its, into its vicinity because of uh, railway um, built. So I asked, like, that seems so random, and I know it's several kilometers outside the city. Like, how did you hear about this, this group of people? And she said, one of the girls um, that lives, um, is part of this group, was uh, sorting through the garbage at the dump and found a cell phone and turned it on. And first of all, the cell phone turned on and there was one phone number saved on it. So she called it and it was one of our staff. 
And it's like, you know, yet another illustration, if we want to compare something that seems so dead without any future or without any sense of redemption, um, stories like this come forth. And they come forth even, you know, here in Calgary. Um, but we have to be open to them. And, and I think that there's assumption all, uh, often made of what is or isn't capable of bringing life. And I think, you know, as we hear these stories, I, I, when I was talking to you earlier this week, we, we basically, I, 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 we got together and we were talking about this, this Sunday and we were talking about the text of Isaiah and their, their eyes were both lighting up and tearful at various points. And I said, let's just talk about this with everybody because I can feel this text stirring about the ministry that you are doing. And we, I, there was one moment in the text where it says he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decides by what he hears with his ears, but by righteousness and righteousness and justice, this same concept in the Bible, that righteousness and justice are, are, are governing this. And I don't know if you hear it in, in both the stories you've told just there, it, there's a hiddenness. There's a, these are stories that are happening that we don't see in our day-to-day -day lives. And we're, we're talking about trafficking and, and, and the sex work industry. These are, these are hidden worlds to many, many people. And, and so you had some resonances with this idea of, of what Jesus is bringing, because you know, that's what Isaiah Christians say he's, he's talking about, is something which reveals things in a different way, isn't it? Yeah, earlier this year, um, we had the opportunity, and mind you, this is like a 10-year-old dream that we had to start a vocational training center. And earlier this year came the opportunity to buy a closed down college. And when I say opportunity, it's something that came up for sale and it was like a million and a half dollars, um, which I'm just a Grand Prairie boy. That seems expensive. I don't got that money, but- <laughs> Those are Calgary prices. Me and, uh, <laughs> but me and uh, my wife, my family, our community, we're like, yeah, this seems like a great thing. They're excited about this, let's try it. And so we were just answering the call to speak at whatever churches, whatever groups, whatever family would have us in their living room. And it turned out to be like, oh man, 30 to 40 different speaking opportunities at the beginning of the year. By God's grace, it happened. We bought the school. It's done. We're renovating it right now. Um, it's amazing. But during that time, when I think about this, one of the things that stood out, and mind you, yeah, this is like a heavy topic. It typically makes us feel kind of nasty hearing about the reality that like, you know, we have 40 girls in four safe homes. Most of them are under 16 years old. Um, most of them have an extremely tra traumatic story themselves. And so I'm, I'm sharing like we are now and, and every single time someone would come up to me afterwards and whether it's just because I have a microphone, I'm talking about it, for whatever reason, they would share something that's hidden. Lots of people probably in this room, whether it's like sexual exploitation, sexual abuse, on the, on the perpetrator or sinful side of things, or on the receiving victim side of things, um, it was without doubt that someone would come up to me and start sharing. And it kind of just, one, it was really hard to hear, but it, it really displays the reality that we all have disadvantaged parts in our lives. Like when we're talking about these girls that have undergone the worst part of humanity. It's, it sucks, and we're going to do something about it, and we do do something about it. But it doesn't negate the fact that every single person, whether it's the friend that you're sitting by and you've known them for a year, but you might have just not talked about that part, 
And I think this is what Jesus is like really excited about, is flipping that around to being the wise counselor, first in up for ourselves, but then as a community together. And so when I read these things that, whoa, the spirit of counsel and might, he's the only one that can heal the brokenness in your life. And I've seen it time and time again from the girls in the homes. They come in for the first three months. Honestly, they're like sleeping 16 hours a day, just trying to physically deal with the trauma until the point you start seeing a glimmer of light in their eyes. And then a few months later, they're unrecognizable, both to one to me, but also to their families, their villages, saying, who is this? Um, when we were reading this text um, in your office on Tuesday, what jumped out at me were the verses 6 to 8, I think, into 9. And you can see, you know, the, the, the two groups of yeah. creations. We'll put that on the screen, actually. That Yes, here we go. Wolves and lambs. Wolves and, and lambs. Leopards and goats. Lions. Yeah. And we definitely feel, at least I feel or have felt in my life, like I have a good understanding, you know, who the dangerous group is and who the safe uh, and meek group is. Uh, shortly after I started working with Wolven, one of our leaders challenged my thinking to really see the perpetrators, see the brokenness in the perpetrators. Um, of, of uh, the situations that our girls find themselves in. And I super struggled with it because I went into Southeast Asia, kind of like, oh, that person looks like they work for an NGO. That's a young hippie tourist. And there, and then there's this metal group. And I assumed why they're there. And there was just anger bordering on hate building up in my heart. And I almost passed this entire group um, as doomed beyond mercy, beyond redemption, beyond restoration. So my leader was like, the brokenness that our girls are the recipients of is the brokenness that's leading these people into perpetuating those kinds of things. And I think um, we can talk ourselves or buy into this idea that we live out our righteousness on the basis of who we exclude from being deserving of God's mercy. So when I was reading that text, it really challenged me just how faulty that thinking is. Yeah. There's, there's immense challenge. And when, when both of you were talking, I was thinking about the impossibility of a stump. You know, somebody with an incurable disease. You know, somebody else digging through garbage and discovering a phone with one telephone number on it. But this whole vision of Advent is an impossible vision. But a vision that we don't know all the component parts like, we often think about the lamb, right? And how does the lamb find safety? And how does the goat find safety? But, you know, how do we teach the lion to become vegetarian? You know, like, like the lion somehow got to decide, I'm okay with straw. You know, it's this huge vision that it's so easy to go, well, God will just wipe those people out, and then we'll just have everybody else. But Jesus' Advent vi vision is about repentance. It's about restoration. It's about fixing things, isn't it? And it's it's almost unimaginable, particularly when we start to put, we move it from Isaiah to Southeast Asia. We say, how's that going to work? How's that going to be? And that perhaps leads into the, the, the next text, which is the kind of gospel text for this week of Advent, um, which we'll throw up on screen. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah a voice of one calling in the wilderness. 
prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, I've tried to kind of compress uh, all of the kind of key points into one slide here about this John the Baptist, this kind of unusual character. I mean, John definitely has a way with words, had to really warm a crowd to him, you know, you brood of vipers. Uh, when I was a little kid, we used to read about John the Baptist, and he was this guy eating locusts and wild honey, you know, camel hair clothes, you know, and he sounded really weird. And now he just like sounds like someone from Inglewood or something like that. And, so like, I'm now wondering if John was just like way ahead of the curve in terms of his, like my daughter and I were literally watching a cooking show yesterday about how to use crickets in your food. Uh, and so, <laughs> um, a fair warning is if you do decide to travel with Andrew and I to Southeast Asia, you may end up eating crickets. We might've <laughs> tasted one or two. And, uh, it, well, I, I don't talk about like, uh, you know, things that are weird to eat at Westside. I did that once and it kind of, <laughs> caused some issues afterwards. You were there, right? And, uh, <laughs> but let's, more seriously, let's talk about this text for, for a second, because you've got Isaiah's vision, a stump that's going to produce a shoot, right? And then lions and, and, and goats are friends, and, and, and how is this all going to happen? And then as the story's getting close to Jesus, John the Baptist appears and says, prepare, like get ready. Jesus is still going to be the one who's the catalyst to do all this, but there's something that we can now do. So this, for me, there's a question about alignment here with what God's doing. And I wonder how you feel that in terms of the ministry and work that you do with Woven, this idea of preparation, of alignment, of, 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 of setting ourselves. I'll be honest, when I read that text the first time, it just went straight over my head and I was very aware that I was going to be sitting on the stage with a theologian <laughs> next to me. So I did... Andrew's kind, though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But, uh, so I did a little bit of reading, and and uh, Fleming Rutledge, you know, uh, really helped me out with this uh, in her uh, book, Means of Grace, uh, leading up to Advent, where she talks about, you know, John the ba Baptist not only shining the spotlight on the coming of Jesus, but he himself was the spotlight. And it reframes how we approach what God is doing because it tells us that we are witnesses to what God is doing. We're invited to reflect his glory, not just to observe it from afar at a safe distance, but to really be one with it. And um, yeah, just be the sources of his grace, his mercy, his love. And we're talking about, you know, uh, today's Advent Sunday being about, being about love. And there was a nice quote, if you don't mind, that yes. I'll read from Fleming Rutledge. And it says, you are being changed and I am being changed. It means that we Christians are going to be weaned away from our possessions and oriented toward being everlastingly possessed by the love of God. And I, I think it's such a beautiful imagery um, that she puts down here. So the problem isn't, are we aware that God is doing something? 
um, the question is, are we willing to participate in it? Yeah, when I first got into this type of work, ministry, I had a friend come up to me and ask, well, how did you get so passionate about this? And I truly think it's like only by God's grace. God can reveal his heart to people. Have you, have you lately, have I lately, asked God, hey God, will you reveal your heart to me for your people? And I think what we recognize and, and find out every single time, it's, it's with the poor, it's with the broken, it's with the needy. And are you like exposing yourself to that? So when we talk about like awareness, we talked about that. And I was like, I feel like awareness isn't the issue. I mean, you guys all know about this. You just heard about it if you didn't know. But you, you all kind of have some sort of mind, or, yeah, mindset about what trafficking is or isn't. And so how do we get to the next place? What is the next place beyond awareness? And I think even what John is calling people to is, hey, like we need to make these paths walkable here. Let's, let's start figuring this out. And it goes beyond just, okay, now you know about it, go home. <laughs> and I think the question remains for all of us, and you know what, you're not all called to work with Woven, we know that. But as a corporate body committed to this, what does that look like? Are you willing to engage in the conversation? Are you willing to at least ask yourself that and go there in your own heart and soul and in your relationship with your spouse or whatever that looks like to you? The beautiful thing is this opportunity actually doesn't present itself all the time. You can't go somewhere online and, and just do what the team does. But you have this connecting block. You have a pastoral team. And we know that, yes, Sometimes things are tough in church and there seems like a big wall here, but there's not. He's just a dude. I walked into his office the other day and, uh, and he likes to chat. He really likes to chat. <laughs> but that's like kind of what I'm thinking is like, hey, John's just not calling us to become aware of this. He's saying, repent, get your heart right. Be willing to give it all up for the sake of Christ. When's the last time we've done that in our personal life? It's scary to make the list of things in your life, your health, your job, the things that you have to sacrifice. But you, you find out on the other side that that's where the joy of life is, and living a life worthy of his calling by his will for his purposes. And I feel like when you invite God to really be working in you and through you, the more you get to experience that from the front row seat, the more you just want to continue with it, the more, the more you see God at work, um, it's really hard to move away from. Well, and there's this, what I'm hearing from both of you, and, and, and I've heard it throughout the week in the, in the, in the conversation, is, is this, from Isaiah, you have, okay, there's a stump, right? But God's not finished with the stump. And then there's a dream, there's a vision, isn't there, of, of, of justice. Of, I love this word. It's a big word for us. Wholeness, shalom, this, this God putting everything back together. But there's, there's, a, there's a path between A and B. And so often we take huge pressure in our own lives that, okay, we have to fix it. What I love about what John the Baptist is doing is go, but just like, just get the path ready because this is coming. God is going to put things right. But, but John's inviting us, use the word repent, which John uses, 
Repent just means to change the direction of your life, doesn't it? And, and align it with a way that, that God is, is doing. And, and, and for, for all of us in the room, that will have different resonances, wasn't it? One day you were in a room and the resonance became, you know, Yana went to Southeast Asia and then a global pandemic broke out. And I remember Zooming with you <laughs> and you're like in your house at the other side of the world wondering. 400 square foot apartment for six weeks. <laughs> So yeah, and he's like, oh, wait a minute, this isn't quite what, what I had imagined. For other people, it might just be awareness. For other people, it might be, it might be financial investment, time investment. There's all sorts of things that, that resonate with this path-making, aren't they? We also have um, a short video, actually, for the, just to, perhaps it will help you just to visualize some of the spaces that, that the Woven team are working in, that we're supporting them in. So why don't you just watch the screens for a moment while, uh, while we, we see what's going on there. Now, often at this point, um, during our teaching, often at this point, we would stop for some dialogue. But I'm not going to do that today. Instead, I'd love for you to actually internalize some of that dialogue and ask the question, what is the Holy Spirit stirring in me? In terms of the, the, story that we've, we've, the stories that we've heard, the, the way that everything's been framed, what is God stirring in you? It's so easy sometimes to sort of move on from that quickly, but I'd encourage you, just frame that in your life this week at some point. What is God maybe just stirring up in you, and how do you respond to that? And that slight tension, perhaps, that you feel at the moment, that slight discomfort that you feel at the moment, that can sometimes be the space that God starts to work things in. Because maybe for you, maybe when we, we talked about that text in Isaiah 11, that stump, maybe instantly that was you, and you were like, oh my goodness, like, <laughs> my life is a stump right now. Or maybe it's a project that you're involved in, or maybe it's just your feeling about the state of the world right now. It, actually, most of us probably have something in our life where we're going, I think that's dead, and I'm not sure what's going to happen next with it. And think about this vision that Israel's looking at, maybe is everything dead, and from the stump, this little shoot grows up, this little green fragile shoot that says life is still there. But also what's going on in this story is it, there was a tree, it was cut down, now it's just a stump, now there's a shoot coming from the stump. Sometimes life just doesn't go the way you expected it to. And if you're like me, you're sitting in a, in a conversation like we've had this morning, and you're aware of the fact that Actually, we're so privileged in our own lives that there's probably things that you hear about this morning and go, my goodness, people are having to worry about things that you and I probably haven't ever thought about worrying about in some sort of context. And this is also in there in this story about the, the sort of disruption of life and how sometimes we end up having to navigate things that we never expected. But at some level, this is the Advent message, that God has not abandoned us, that God can find all of us, that God is coming to us. And this morning we light a love candle. But one of the things we realize and remember about this God who's coming towards us is that he loves us, but he loves all of us. So I'd encourage you to sort of do your best to resist that temptation to overly personalize that message, which becomes, oh, well, it's a good job that God loves me. Realize for Advent to be Advent, the hope is of a lion that eats straw you know, is of a leopard that hangs out with a goat. And this in image of a young child in the midst of all of these crazy animals, this wholeness that's been put together. Because we're talking about a love at Advent 
that comes, a love that comes from knowing that something that appeared dead, something grew from it. A love that comes from listening to John the Baptist and preparing and aligning ourselves with God. A love that brings us to places of compassion, shalom, and wholeness seeking. This love which is the marker that Jesus' kingdom has come in our hearts, not just in the manger, but he's leaking from our hearts into the world, into the world that we live in. Yana and Andrew are going to be at the back. There's a small stand at the back with some information about Woven. I'd love you to just go and talk to them afterwards. Bless them a little bit. Encourage them. This is hard work that they're involved in, which you can feel it when they're talking. There's an emotional toll that comes from this sort of work. So stop by and say thank you to them. Say hi to them. Bless them uh, and encourage them. But as we go, I'm going to invite you to stand. And as I said last week, we'll do it again this week. We'll confess what we believe together, but not with the normal Apostles' Creed that we have often done at Westside, but with the Nicene Creed. This creed, which as I said to you already, many of the Christmas songs steal lines from to help us in our belief at this particular time of year. So if you would like to, I invite you to confess what we believe together in the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him, all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, with the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen and amen. Let me end with this blessing or collect as it's known from the Book of Common Prayer for this particular week of Advent as we remember the voice of the prophets from Isaiah to John that call us to believe and hope in God's wholeness and God's peace and all that God is gonna do for us. Let me say this over you. Merciful God, who sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for salvation. Give us grace to heed their warnings and forsake our sins, that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Go with God's grace and peace this week.